cheering and supporting in this season that we're in. Amen. Anyway, how many of you watched the Raptors game? The one that we showed the other night with the Lakers. You know, I I get I get sometimes I get a little annoyed <laughs> with my husband of his obsession <laughs> with uh, the Raptors. But I pick and choose which game I want to watch. <laughs> and I was praying. Do you ever pray for the sports team? I was praying between watching the Raptors and my computer. God, come on. Come on, those referees. Do something about those referees. <laughs> you ever pray those kind of prayers that you just want God to strike down the referee? <laughs> Oh, what an invigorating game. Just to hear the noise in Air Canada Center again. Go, Raptors, go. I'm like, oh my gosh, that sounds so good. Defense, defense. I, I thought, man, I would love to be there. I just love places where there's energy, upward energy. I'm not a fan of that half-empty kind of mentality where everything is on a downward spiral. I like uplifting stuff. And if sports do that for you, I say go to the game. Go do some shouting. You know, get some energy on. So I couldn't get enough. The game was over, but I got to go and watch the highlights. Because I was just energized to see the Raptors do their thing in Toronto, especially against LeBron James. Do I sound spiteful? I know he carried the same last name as I do, but I was like, he ain't no king. He ain't coming here to rule us. Go, Raptors, go. <laughs> that was my excitement for the week. What about you? We got to dig out those excitements because you know what? Life is just full of downward stuff. And we got to find reasons and stuff to rejoice. Amen. But God gives us all the reason we want right there, the cross of Jesus Christ. Because without the cross, I don't know where I would be today. I don't know where you would be today if you didn't know that there was forgiveness in the cross of Christ. Bishop uh, Tutu says that without forgiveness, there is no future. You see that war, in, that war in Ukraine? That's unforgiveness on full display. Going back to 1939. They don't want to let go. And when we don't let go, we destroy. We destroy ourselves and we destroy each other. And that is why clearly we can see that all of these wars that are being fought has to do with unforgiveness of people who don't want to let go of their brother. And that is why they say this war is fratricide. Because when you look at the Ukrainians and you look at the Russians, you can't tell the difference. In fact, they, they, fundamentally they are the same people, but they're killing each other. When you go to the massacre in Rwanda, the genocide, you look at the, the Hutus and the Tutus, and they're all brothers and sisters. One day they were worshiping together in the same church, fellowshipping together, and then the next day they were chopping each other up. 
It's a mystery, isn't it? And sometimes it's all propaganda. You remember when you were a child and you used to go to school, somebody said, I don't like that Marcel at all. Next thing you know, half the class not talking to you. And you know nobody, nothing. Somebody just starts spread a theory that you're not likable. And before you know it, all the girls in the class don't like you. That's why I love boys. I always were the friends with the boys. I don't have time for girlish drama. You understand? <laughs> I hang out with the guys. Of course, that earned me another reputation. Because she's always with the guys. But that's okay. Men are not as sensitive, some of them, as we are. Right? And, and, and this is the thing I found out as well. It's not just men, but kids. I think fundamentally we are born with that purity of heart and mind toward everyone. Most children are raised and born, they don't know nothing about racism. They don't know to hate their other cousin or other brother or sister until somebody plants something negative in their mind or they hear stuff in their home about, you know, certain people. Then they begin to act out what they hear. And that is why Dr. Dobson once said, I can tell what people say about me or how they feel about me by watching how their children treat me. Because fundamentally, kids will treat you the way they hear the parents talk about you at home. And it's a given fact that we have propaganda, not just in politics, but we have propaganda in the church. We have propaganda in the home. We have propaganda in our broader spectrum of our extended families. I've met people who say they grow up not being liked. They grow up being marginalized within the family. Never mind when you come to Canada and you're black and you're trying to find a job and you're being marginalized. Some of us come with that baggage of not being accepted by our first family. And because we come with that history of not being accepted, every relationship we have, guess what? We judge how people act and behave to us based on that first negative experience from our childhood. So we come and we meet a guy who loves us to death. But everything he says, we remember what our big sister back home said about us. And every, every time he tries to show you how much he loves you, you think he has an ulterior motive because he really can't love you like he says. Because remember, nobody really appreciated me back home. Am I talking to the church or am I just talking to myself? And this is the problem with unforgiveness. We carry it around with us from relationship to relationship. And the people that we are mad with have nothing to do with our past and our pain and our history. But somehow we expect them to fix it and overcompensate for all the damage that has been done to us in the past. And I'm talking real because we, I've experienced it. Perhaps you have. It's like you show up at school, your first time at school, people don't know you. They challenge you. I remember one of my sons, you know, he went to a nice little private Christian school for a significant amount of time. And I guess the people behaved a little differently. But, it, but as his illness was getting worse and it was always a drama, I said, you know, you need to go to a school nearby. Put him in the school next door, um, secondary school. First day at school, 
he's walking through the hallway and there's a group of black guys standing in the hallway and his backpack accidentally touched one of them. And here's my beautiful, very cultured, polite son for the first time in an environment that is just like night and day. Not only that, he grew up in a home where he was respected. And you know when you grow up in a home where you're respected and you're out there and suddenly you're facing issues, you're like, whoa! It's kind of like sheep among wolves. They're like, man, you touch me. You just touch me. I'm going to beat you up. And the next thing you know, a whole gang is saying, when school is over, boy, you're dead. So he comes home. He's like, I don't want to go back to that school. I'm like, what do you mean you don't want to go back? To I'm not going back to that school. I'm like, what happened, son? When he told me his story, he said, but well, you're going back. <laughs> you are going back. You have no choice. And you will not be bullied out of that school because I'm paying taxes, right? So you're going back. He told some of his Vietnamese friends. They came from Toronto. They were in the gangs. And when they heard his story, they're like, come on, man, you're going. We got you. We got your back. So he finished school there and finished well. Now those kids, you might be tempted to judge them and say they should be kicked out of the school for those kinds of behaviors and conducts. But we got to empathize with them. Because you see, I work with their parents. I know how they're raised. I see the fault lines and the cracks in their upbringing. And so I can empathize with them. I see their moms raising them sometimes alone. I see them working two, three jobs. I hear them on the phone calling. Did you do your homework? Did you lock the door? I hear their concerns while they're out there foraging in the workplace just to make a living. There are consequences. And that is why when people are at fault, it is our job to look beyond the fault. To see the needs. To see the cracks in their story. Why they are the way they be. That is why Jesus tells us to be careful. Be careful. Be honest about our own darkness and our own dark sides. Because you know what? To be honest, some of us are only here because of the grace of God. Some of us only made it through because someone took an interest in us. Someone prayed for us. Someone nurtured us. Someone showed us that we had value and we had worth and invested in us. Today we're going to talk about forgiveness, but we're talking about honesty. Honesty. Having that capacity to reveal to ourselves that we all have inner struggles. We all have inner struggles. Not just my brother or my sister, but me. I have inner struggles that but for the grace of God would derail me. 
Sometimes you never say to a family member, thank God you're saved. Because if you weren't saved, you would have been in jail. <laughs> or worse would have happened to you. Have you ever had those conversations? But have you ever had them with yourself? And say, there go I. But for the grace of God. Amen. So sometimes we got to be honest. Before we put a brother down, think about ourselves. Where would we be if Jesus hadn't found us and saved us? Let us look into the word of God. We're going to look at two, two short texts today. We're going to look at Matthew 5. Verse 38 to 48. And then we're going to look at Matthew 7, verse 1 to 6. We'll take the first one. I'm reading from the Common English Version. So you might just want to listen or see if you can find it on your app. C-E-V. Common English Version. We're not living in the 16th century anymore. <laughs> so my version says, you know you have been taught an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you not to try and get even with a person who When someone slaps you on your right cheek. Sometimes we need to slap ourselves <laughs> and say, self, get yourself together. <laughs> if someone slaps you on the right cheek, turn and let that person slap you on the other cheek. Would you do that? I hear you. If someone sues you for your shirt, give them your coat as well. Would you do that? If a soldier forces you to carry his pack one kilometer Say, no problem, man, I'll carry it too. When people ask you for something, just give it. Don't think twice, just give it. When they want to borrow money, just lend it, whether you have it or not. You have heard people say, love your neighbors and hate your enemies, but I tell you to love your enemies and pray for anyone who mistreats you. I hope you do that. He said, because if you do these things, then you will be acting like your father in heaven. He makes the sun rise on both the good and bad people. And he sends rain 
on the ones who do right and for the ones who do wrong. It'd be funny if you wake up one morning and your neighbor is getting rain and you don't have none. What'd that tell you? <laughs> Repent. <laughs> just, just saying. <laughs> if you love only those people who love you, will God reward you for this? Even tax collectors love their friends. If you greet only your friends, what's so great about this? Even unbelievers do that. But you must always act like your father in heaven. Matthew 7, verse 1 to 6. Do not judge others. Or you will be judged. For you will be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. And why worry about the speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own how do you think saying to your friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye? Hypocrite. First, get rid of the log in your own eye and then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. And don't waste time with what is holy on people who are unholy. Don't throw your pearls to pigs. They will trample the pearls, then turn and attack you. You know, this passage is suggesting that forgiveness is an act that goes over and beyond in which we are called to aid and abet criminals. <laughs> or aid and abet your offender. In order to do what? Why should I give you everything? Why should I lend you? Why should I ignore that speck in your eye. It's troubling to me. Now, if you've got floaters, which I have, why sometimes lights shining at me can be problematic. Because my right eye has specks, floaters. So when light shines in my eye, I see black things moving around. Now, I've had them from 2017. Initially, it was horrific. And when the doctor said to me, that's normal, I'm like, I can't live with this. But guess what? Eventually, those spider webs and black specks that annoyed me so much initially, I have learned to live with them. And those specks, they don't seem to rattle me anymore. Is a metaphor here? And sometimes we can live with the specks 
But Jesus is saying here in this passage, we not only get comfortable with specks, we can get comfortable with logs. We can sit in sin and it don't bother us. And you know, sin is like this. Sometimes it begins with a speck. And we ignore the speck. And we pretend in our own dishonest selves that the speck doesn't matter because it's a little white lie. Nobody's seeing me. It's just porn. And I'm doing it in the privacy of my house. Nobody knows what's on my computer. And guess what? Those little specks, they just grow over time. And we become more hypocritical with ourselves until the specks become massive logs and we're in trouble. We're sitting in the mud and we don't know how to get out because we have ignored the speck, not just in our brother's eye, but in our own lives until it has grown into a log. And guess, here's the thing. When the speck becomes a log in our eyes, our tendency is to become smug, self-righteous, and judgmental. Because now we're beginning to portray unto others our guilt and our shame. So we're no longer the problem. And it's not because we want to help our brother or our sister. We want somebody to take the fall for what we are doing. Happens a lot. Happens a lot in marriage. A husband or a wife is having an affair or extramarital relationship. And as soon as the wife is on the phone talking to somebody, they're like, who are you talking to? Are you having an affair? Are you cheating on me? When they're cheating. <laughs> you know? it's, it's, it's like, that's how it works. Because we project our guilt on other people. All we like sheep have gone astray. And this passage is suggesting to us today two things. The first is when people are in your life or whether they're a stranger, treat them kind. Go the extra mile. Show them the same grace and mercy that your heavenly father would show them. Because Jesus said he came to save sinners. And so when we encounter people who have a massive failure or little failures in their life, think about them the way the Heavenly Father thinks about them and treat them as their Father in heaven was, would. Remembering who you are. And that is the same heavenly father who blesses you and brings you out of your pit. Is the same heavenly father that they have to access. Through you, no doubt. And the second passage is a warning to us. 
not to judge. Our capacity to judge our brother or sister is flawed. Because we're seen through human lens and not through Heavenly Father lens. So he says, don't judge because I am the ultimate judge and I could stop their breath if I wanted to. But I allow that person to live because I see value in that person that you don't see. And I am so passionate about this, God says, that if you judge your brother or sister who's in fault, be careful how you judge them. Because the way you judge them will determine how I judge you. Remember last week, we talked about the officer who owed the king more than he could ever repay. And the king, who represents the heavenly father, says to him, don't you worry, brother. It's already paid in full. You don't owe me anything. Can you imagine the relief? How many of you have had to pay off a debt? And when you get that last notice, how you feel? You're like, finally I paid that car off. Finally I paid that mortgage off. Finally I got rid of that loan. Oh, that peaceful, wonderful ecstasy. That's what he felt. And for the life of us, how could you suddenly go out and remember somebody else owe you like, you know, like you have no problems now. You don't need money. And what did he do? He went out and he judged his brother. You're too delinquent. I don't care how much you cry and kneel and beg. You're delinquent. You're delinquent. I want my money back. But he went even further. He held him by the neck, intending to choke him to death. Maybe somebody stopped him because ultimately they ended up in jail. The man, his wife, his children, everyone. And when the king heard what this officer had done, he summoned him back court you know there's one court we should be afraid of and it's the heavenly court the king held him and he said you wicked servant officer whatever I was compassionate loving forgiving to you and I forgave you everything you owed. But now you went out and someone owed you pittance compared to what you were forgiven of. And look at what you've done. You know what he did to that servant? He cast him out into utter darkness where there was weeping and gnashing of teeth. Judgment is not in our purview of roles. Leave it to God who ju who's just and judges wisely. Be careful. Now God has also given us in the church leadership where at times we have to 
judge and mitigate certain situations, but we have to do it with witnesses and in proper order, as we read on Wednesday night in our study. And it has to be done with God's presence and the power of the Holy Spirit because it is not something we take lightly. This passage is suggesting that forgiveness is an act that goes over and beyond in which we're called to aid God in setting people free. Because the ultimate purpose is redemption. Redeem. And we love to sing about our redeem, our, our redemption. We like to raise our hand and say, redeem how I love to proclaim it. Redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. And then we walk out of church and we cut up a brother or a sister. God is watching us. This book of Matthew contains a lot of teachings that Jesus wanted the early church to understand about what it means to be kingdom-minded and kingdom-living people. The author wants us to see these essentials because, as you can imagine, they couldn't write everything that Jesus did and done. I mean, Luke says that when he wrote to Theophilus. He says, you know, I'm just giving you some, some, some of my investigation. But none of these books could contain everything that there was to write about Jesus. So whatever we gain from the Bible, see it as valuable. See it as important. What is interesting about these two passages is that they follow a sermon on the mount, which we call the Beatitudes. And in that sermon, Jesus is giving them what seems like a recipe for blessing and happiness. But even as you look at the list, it's quite deflating. <laughs> Jesus is not saying you're going to be happy and blessed because your bank account is like running over or because you got the best wife or child or, or the best car or the house. He's not saying that. He's saying things like you're going to be blessed. <laughs> you're going to be happy because you got grief. <laughs> You're going to be blessed and you're going to be happy because you're mourning. You're going to be blessed and you're going to be happy because you're a peacemaker. When people are trampling all over you. You're going to be blessed because you're going to obey and obedience is tough. You're going to be blessed because your living is pure. You're keeping your body to yourself and to God. And you're living right and just. You're going to be happy. And these verses tell us that God will bless you when people insult you. Now, if you get insulted, tell me how happy you are. If somebody call you a nasty name or slap you across your cheek, are you going to turn the right because you're so happy? Huh? You're going to say, oh, come on, slap me on the other side. I'm just so happy you slapped me. It sounds like an exaggeration, and it is. 
Jesus is saying, you're going to be happy when people mistreat you and persecute you and tell all kinds of evil lies about you because of me. Happy life. Be happy. Be excited. You will have great reward in heaven. And I can hear you say, Lord, I don't want to wait for heaven. I want to be respected and honored and treated well right now. Be happy. He said, people did the same things to the prophets who lived long ago. Now tell me, if you were Isaiah or Jeremiah or, or, or Amos and all of these people who went through Hosea, who went through the things that they went through, would you say they had a happy life? I want that too. I heard T.D. Jake saying the other day that somewhere he went, somebody says to him, give me a double portion of your anointing. And he said, they don't know what I went through. What are they asking for? You know, sometimes we see people and we think they had a great life. And we envy them. And we dismiss them because we think that they have it good and we have no clue. Some of the happiest people in the world are people who have suffered much. And have had great trials and tribulations. It seems almost like an unbelievable kind of thing. But I've met people who are suffering and dying from cancer. And they're the happiest people you ever met. Many years ago, I worked at the children's hospital. And some of the happiest people that I've ever met are the kids who are suffering and dying from cancer. In fact, when people are crying around them, they're sorry for the people who are crying around them. Happiness has nothing to do with all our circumstances around us. It has to do with the presence of God in and over our life. So we say, was Jesus realistic at all? How happy can I be under certain circumstances? I want to scream. I can't take that Jesus. I cannot love such a person. I could never, ever trust that person again. Jesus, I would rather the eye for the eye part. I want payback. And Jesus, if someone slapped me, I'm going to slap them back. No way, Jesus. I'm going to tolerate any kind of abuse, Jesus, enough is enough, we say. And if someone sues me for my shirt, Jesus, you expect me to give them back the cloak too? You know, we may not understand the ramification of this in our culture. We don't even use robe and cloak. In Jesus' day, <laughs> that was it. Robe. And cloak. If you give away the robe. And you give away the cloak. In all likelihood. You'll be wearing the emperor's new clothes. And you'll be going around town. 
wearing the emperor's new clothes. I know you don't get it because it means you're going to be naked. You're going to be walking around naked, literally speaking. Did Jesus have a funny bone? He must have had a funny bone to tell them, give everything away and just be naked. We used to say, I would give them the last shirt on my back. That's literally what this means. And the principle here is not so much all the semantics, but love, not revenge. Love, not revenge. We have a thirst for revenge. We want people to suffer when they wrong us. And so Jesus is saying, love demands much more. He's playing on the passage of scripture that says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind. This is the first and most important commandment. And the second commandment is just like that one. It is love others as much as you love yourself. Love others. And you know what? None of us want to pay back. None of us want the responsibility of taking on the pain that we deserve. Because we have wronged others as well. According to the Ashbury Bible Commentary, it is within this context that Jesus speaks of perfection. Disciples must be perfect, complete, entire in their love. We cannot love halfway. We have to love all the way. Right cheek, left cheek, robe, cloak, give every time, turn the other cheek. We don't do things halfway. We do it with everything. We give it all, not just to Jesus as we sing, but to our neighbor. That is perfect love. Why? Why do we love like this? Because the text says, just as our Father in heaven would. Our Father in heaven who sends the rain on those who do right and those who do wrong. Love like that. And then he says, if you only greet those people you like, or your friends, or your loved ones, that's not perfect love. That is of no benefit. Even the devil can do that. Hedons do that. But I'm calling you to a higher level of kingship. A higher level of holiness. And you say, but nobody can be perfect in this life. But we can try. We can try to do better. Doing good to both the righteous and the wicked. You know, we live in a country that espouses tolerance tells us to respect everyone whether they're whatever the race color creed and in theory these are what makes nations flourish this is why canada is one of the number one countries in the world to live 
That is why whenever there's a war or issues abroad, Canada don't go in to fight. They go in to do what? To keep the peace. What if we take that in our family, in our relationships, in our church, in our communities? Our societies would flourish and we would have a future. But when we don't practice forgiveness in our family, we destroy our families. I was reading a story about a couple who, they were fighting all the time and they had a two-year-old child. And as they were pursuing divorce, their biggest concern was not so much about their divorce, but the damage that they had done to their two-year-old daughter. You see, when we tear each other up, we're not just injuring ourselves. It's not just between you and I. There are collateral damage that are being done when we eat each other up. This is the Christian perfection of which Wellesley spoke. The perfection of love. And Wellesley was right when he declared that humanly speaking such perfection may seem impossible. But Wellesley was also in line with the thinking that this gospel when he argued that nothing is impossible with God. What might be impossible with man but is not impossible with God for us to attain that level of love. And he says and God and God graciously gives this to his people. The power to fulfill this command. To love one another. Do you believe that church? Do you believe that we can attain that? We have to attain that. On every level of relationship. God is inviting us to love like him. And one of our chief concerns was that what to do with our enemies? And that's a fear question. Well, Pastor James, I know I'm supposed to love. But what am I supposed to do with my enemies? I want to ask you a question. What do you do when that enemy is you? What do you do when that enemy is you? What do you do with you when you're destroying you because you are so messed up with alcoholism or drug addiction or pornography or any other thing that is destroying your life? What do you do with you? What do we do with our enemies? You know, the idea of enmity was palpable in Jesus' day as it is today. The people lived in darkness, the word of God says. And that darkness was brought on by Roman occupation and oppression. It was literal. Just think about what is happening in Ukraine and see Palestine back in that day. One can only imagine the psychosocial problems of Jesus' day. We're doing good. Someone prayed this morning, Sister Juliet, about how blessed we are because we're not in Ukraine. But as the Ukrainians say, don't be too comfortable. It's coming your way. There's a trickle-down effect when there's toxic politics 
and Roman imperialism. There's slavery, there's taxation, overtaxation, there's poverty, there's sickness, there's depression and death. It's, it lays on them like a heavy weight on every man, every woman, and every child. There was nothing but freedom and revenge on the hearts of Jesus' audience. They wanted to get back at Rome. They expected to hear his political vision. They expect him to set some goals for how he was going to overthrow and take the throne of David. I imagine many of them were very impatient with him. They followed him with fervor and passion, hanging on to every word. The miracles here and there only served to confirm that a new day was indeed on the horizon. Jesus was going to deliver us. Jesus' message had the undertones of liberation and redemption. I've come to set you free. The trouble was, the message seemed to counter how they envisioned it to be. They wanted punishment for their enemies. They were praying for Rome to fall. They prayed that the tax collectors would be banished from the land and Herod would indeed be eaten by worms. They had payback on their mind. Jesus came preaching another kingdom. A kingdom that was not of this world, or at least unlike this world. Jesus entered a messed up world as the light that would come to shatter the darkness, to infuse a love upon hate-filled hearts. That's why Jesus came. To change our propensity for hatred and replace that with incarnate love. To redeem every prodigal son from the house of Israel. And to deliver sons and daughters from the grip of the enemy. That's why Jesus came. Jesus came to secure the future for all who would come to him in faith. He came to purchase our freedom from the bondage of sin. Through the forgiveness of his own blood on the cross. Jesus angered his audience when he kept company with sinners and tax collectors. Why would you eat with drunks and, and prostitutes and sinners? Do you know who that woman is? Jesus' audience were the hypocrites. Remember the woman who was caught in the very act of adultery. They dragged her out to the public. They watched Jesus and they said, Jesus, you see this woman here? She was caught in the very act of adultery. We don't need two or three witnesses to confirm the story. We saw it with our own eyes. That must have been a setup. A setup to test Jesus. They had every right to stone her to death. That was the law. Jesus says, I did not come to change the law, but to fulfill the law. But here's how he fulfilled the law. He said, go ahead, stoner. Take up your stone and do what is just. She deserves the punishment of death. 
Go stone her. They picked up the stones and they were ready. Jesus, hang on a bit. Let's do it this way. The innocent ones, you who have no sin, you have the honor because you're sinless. You can cast the first stone. Then we'll go with the other ones who have a little beam, little moat in their eye to the one that have the big beam. And just stone her to death. Well, the first guy steps up. He winds up his swing, you know, to stone her. And guess what? He remembered. He looked inside. He was honest enough to see his own sin. The enemy within, he dropped his stone. And one by one, they came to stone her, but they dropped the stones. And Jesus turns to the woman and he says, woman, where are your accusers? Happy day, she said. Sir, I guess I have none. Jesus says, your sin has been forgiven. Tagline, go sin no more. This is the forgiveness that Jesus' audience were understanding as the fulfillment of the law of God. And the book of Matthew tells all of these stories of how Jesus fraternized with tax collectors and, and sinners. And even his first, one of the first disciples he called was Matthew. Matthew was a tax collector. And Jesus taught us that because he forgives us, we too can forgive. Not just can, but we must forgive. According to the words of, of, of Tutu, there is no future if there's no forgiveness. We mess up our culture and our society and our church when we harbor unforgiveness in our heart. hearts. Jesus' audience was very much concerned about their politics and social justice. But what Jesus had to offer was not just about social justice. It was about spiritual emancipation. Spiritual deliverance. And that's the mission of the church. Our mission is to adopt Jesus' attitude for redemption and release people. And say, go and sin no more. It is possible for us to live like that. In Jesus' salvation. Paul writes in Colossians 1.30. He said, in him we have redemption through the blood. The forgiveness of all trespasses. The apostle Paul evokes exodus in this imagery. Of Christians being taken out of Satan's kingdom. He said he has delivered us from the domain of darkness. And transformed us to the kingdom of his beloved son. In whom we have redemption. The forgiveness of our sins. This imagery of political 
freedom from, from exodus in, in Egypt is a language that the Jews were very familiar with. It's even a language that the black slaves of America adopted as they, they anticipated deliverance and freedom. And for the Jews, Jesus would represent a new Moses, that long-awaited deliverer. So Jesus had to elevate his message to exaggerated levels so that this people could understand how they need to have a capacity that is more, more perfect than the religion of Moses, the religion of the Pharisees and the scribes. He said, you've got to raise your level of love beyond what you know. And it's a difficult theme, forgiveness. And at times it's difficult to hear forgive when you face injustice. When our heart desire is revenge instead of redemption. And the problem with forgiveness is that we all need it. But we're not always eager to give. We all need forgiveness. But we're not all eager to forgive. You see, because the ability to forgive requires honesty and transparency. And as we engage our own inner struggle to forgive ourselves and others, we have a difficult time identifying our own flaws. And we have an even more difficult time owning them. We're so blind to our own failures. When we're caught up in any conflict, we tend to look at our own faults as less. That is why Jesus says, you are concerned about the speck in your brother's eye. You've got a log. But we see our faults through rose-colored glasses. And it's a challenge for us to admit to them. It's like when a young girl meets a guy. She falls in love. It's all physical, you know that, right? Hormones and stuff. Triggered by some externals. And someone comes along and says to her, that guy's trouble. You got to be careful with this relationship. She's like, oh no, he loves me. He's got... He's so generous. He reads with me every night. He likes my cooking. He buys me flowers. He's this and that. And you say to yourself, mm-hmm. She's looking through rose-colored glasses. In given time, her heart is broken. She's damaged. She's messed up, but you don't say, I could have told you so. But that's okay. But what if that person is us? And we can't see it. We can't see it. And until we see it, we can't confess it. And until we confess it, we can't be forgiven. And so it is so important for us to be honest 
with our dark sides and open them up, confess them, not just to Jesus, but to one another so that our sins be forgiven. You see, many of us would not have the opportunity like the woman caught in the act of adultery to be dragged out into public. That's a blessing. There's a deterrent when There's a deterrent when your whole story Okay, I have the lead mic. This is the one that, that pops with my dominant voice. <laughs> anyway, I'll try to hold it out there. Yeah, so here's the thing. Her story being public would create more of a deterrent for her to repeat that sin again. So Jesus says to her, go and sin no more. I was saying to somebody who had struggles with making their life and their dirty linen being washed in public. I said to the person, open confession is better than hidden faults. Because you see what happens, the devil, he likes secrecy. And he likes when we can do things behind closed doors in dark corners because we think that nobody knows. Nobody sees, nobody's watching. And he's likely to get us trapped into that cycle. But when we're exposed, it is much easier for us to change our habits, our impure deeds. And so, owning faults requires not just honesty, but self-abasement. And that's what the cross is. The cross was a shameful event. When Jesus took upon himself all of my dirty stuff, in broad daylight, with people mocking and scorning him so that I can be absolved of my sins. This is what honest confession does for your soul. It does something for your soul. And it's a challenge for us because we love to make people think we are all that. And so we don't want people to know that we've got darkness within. I was saying to someone, this is the problem where a lot of parents go wrong. We send our kids out there like sheep among wolves. And we don't say to them, hey man, you know, when I was your age, I had this struggle, that struggle. You know what? It is so important to tell kids things. Nowadays, you meet girls, especially young girls, who are pregnant in their teenage years or in their early 20s. 
they're having children outside of a committed relationship. They don't have the ring on it. And you say something like, are your brothers and sisters the same dad? And they go, no. It's, it's like, it's like, it's normal. It's normal. It's normal to have a child with this guy and he has other kids out there. It's like, no big deal. And when you really think about it, it's because nobody sits down and showed them another way. Or the parents don't say to them, look, I made some mistakes. This is not normal. I don't want that for you. You know, I want you to live better than I did. I want to be telling you that those mistakes I make, they were mistakes. I don't want, you're not a mistake, but that is not the way I planned my life. That is not the way I wanted my life to turn out. And I'm saying to you, don't do the same thing. Don't do like mommy. Don't do like daddy. Because we didn't do it right. But instead we make them think it's okay. And we may get away with some things, but life may not turn out the same for them. You know, and, and, and so we need to be honest with ourselves, honest with our family, honest with our friends, pull people up. Don't be afraid to say you're living a, a, a broken kind of life. But Jesus have a better plan for your life. But when we're pulling people up, don't judge them. Let them know that you have some stuff that you had to work through or are, are still working through. See your own dark sides. Sometimes the people that we have the most angst with are people who are reflecting us. And as difficult as this virtue is for us, for the survival of our families, for the survival of our church, for the survival of our community and the wider world that we live in in our future, we've got to start the people who are honest with our faults. If all of us as Christians remain clothed in righteousness, all the time, there would be no need for repentance. If we were all perfect as our Father in heaven is perfect, there would be no need for forgiveness. Do you realize that? There would be no need to forgive anyone because we're all perfect. But yet we're commanded over and over in Scripture to forgive. Forgive each other as I have forgiven you. If we were all Christians and remained connected to Jesus, we would never stray. We would all stay in the straight and narrow. There would be no prodigal sons to run after because we would all be home, home with Jesus, walking perfectly. But the scripture, much of it, is for the church. We may also be very Christian and do our best to serve the Lord but find ourselves on the enemy attack. Enemy attack within the soul. Persecution from without. 
And this is what Jesus was warning his disciples about. He told them, I'm sending you out as sheep among wolves. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart because I have overcome the world. There are many ways that we can have enemies. There are, there are ways that we can have enemies that, of people that we never did them wrong. There's just something about our personality they don't like. Or they're born in the wrong family. Or we didn't like their mother, we didn't like their grandmother, and so now they're coming up, we don't like them either. That whole family, you don't want to do nothing to do with them. We create enemies because we're jealous or envious. And sometimes the people we're, envy, we're envious of are struggling like crazy. You know, my father used to say, when you see those girls, chicks walking around with all those clothes, oh, don't, don't, don't worry yourself with them. They're just feathers. People may not like you because of your taste. We can make enemies at the drop of a hat. But there are consequences in our soul when we harbor grudges and unforgiveness. Forgiveness of all our enemies is essential to our freedom as human beings both in this world and in the next. And as we search our souls, Today, we understand that God is able to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from some unrighteousness. No, all unrighteousness. Jesus came in this place to forgive us. When he hung on that cross, taking our sin and our shame. What did he say of those who injured him and harmed him? This is our example. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And so today, I say to us, the enemy within is our flesh. The enemy within is our pride, our selfishness, our dishonesty, sometimes even our fear, and our capacity to be unforgiving. And you know what? The enemy may be just something to do with our physical selves. The other morning I got up out of bed and I, my enemy attacked me. It attacked me in my knee. It attacked me in my hip. It attacked me on the other side. I said to my, my husband, oh man, I'm in pain. And then I listened and I heard, it's raining. Thank God for the rain. But sometimes the rain can be the enemy. <laughs> when it triggers all your arthritic pain. It's chronic illness. That can be an enemy. Pain can be an enemy. Depression, anxiety, those are enemies. But God came to deliver us from our enemies 
That's what he told his disciples when you pray. Pray and ask God to deliver me from my enemies. Do you have enemies within? John 1 and 1 tells us that we can honestly confess our sins. Confess all our anxieties, all our emotional brokenness, all our suffering, whether self-inflicted or acquired. God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We must confess so that the light of Christ can demolish the darkness of our souls. We must confess that we're hurting and our compassionate Savior can help us to trade our sorrows and turn them into joy, our mourning into dancing. And then the song inspires us to help us to trade in our sickness, trade in our pain, trade in our shame for the joy of the Lord. God wants to release somebody today from shame and guilt that you've been carrying all your life. You must believe that God is not here to take vengeance on you. That that time will surely come. You know, the first coming was designed to bring redemption to all of humanity. But the next coming, Jesus will come to judge the quick and the dead. We don't need enmity in our hearts and in our lives. We don't need enmity in our husbands and wives. We don't need enmity between parents and children. We don't need enmity between brothers and sisters and extended family. We need to get our act together and confess our faults one to another so that we might heal our family and the future generation. Because without forgiveness, there's no future. In that text, Jesus brought it down to family life. He addresses marriage. He addresses divorce. Because the family unit is the most important relationship from which all other relationships spring. If we are unhappy in our home, we are unhappy in the job. We are unhappy in the church. We bring our baggage with us everywhere we go. If we're fighting at home, guess what? We're going to fight at church. If we're fighting at home, we're going to be fighting at work. Everywhere we go, we carry our baggage with us. We need to let them go. Drop them because they're enmity to God and they're enmity to our souls. We need to love like God loves. We need to learn to connect with our families in lovable ways. We need to learn to be tender-hearted, forgiving, loving one another as Jesus demands. The earliest years of our family life can be the most powerful years. We realize that. We learn to connect to the world based on our own childhood realities and experiences. But it's not always true. Your parents weren't always right. They didn't raise you right. So I carry that into another generation. And if they raised you right, thank God for that. But much, much of us come from broken families and broken relationships. You say, well, I, when I grow up, my father never abused me. Nobody abused me. But guess what? You grew up in an emotionally disconnected house. Your parents may have been together till life and death, as they say. Till death do us part, but... Your father didn't know how to tell you he loved you or hugged you. So why do you think you're so indifferent to people? Our first families many times did not provide the right kind of culture for us. But now you know better, do better. Amen? 
Now you do better. Tell your children you love them and hug them every day. Show them your emotional side. Because they are the future. And without forgiveness, there is no future. And sometimes we've got to go back and forgive our parents even though they're dead. Because if we don't forgive them, we can't break free. We need to, be, we need to become more aware of our dark sides and the things that we have suffered that are now bringing in enmity, not just in our family, but in our church. Pastors and boards. Where do boards think that the only kind of relationship they must have with their pastor is an adversarial one? It's not written anywhere. That is supposed to be the most special relationship, the board and the pastor. And where do pastors get off thinking that they don't have to be accountable to the board? God puts all of these things in place so that we can function in healthy ways. Elders and members. Where do elders believe that they are appointed to be the judge of the younger generation or other people who are struggling with sin? And when they walk in the church, they turn up their nose at them. Or they walk in with a short skirt and they feel it's their job to go pull them down in front of everybody. Who gave you that job? That love? Be kind one to another. And then there's the gossip. That destroy relationship with, between members. If you got something to say to me, come to me. If I have something to say to you, I come to you. What if we change? What if we do things in a way that is more authentic and loving and real? And what about my attitude? Where I don't want to be told anything. Where no one feel like they're comfortable to come to me and say, you got a speck in your eye, sister. Or a log, for that matter. But I'd rather sit back and just judge. This is what Jesus is saying. Change the narrative. Change the, the way we behave one to another. And there's enmity to the world. Why are you a Christian and you're having drama at work? Why are you a Christian and you got enemies on the job? Why are you well, we don't live over there. But what are you doing going and... <laughs> I know none of you are in Ottawa, right? None of you own a truck. <laughs> Why are you getting enmity because of propaganda on Facebook and Instagram and TikTok? Like, who cares? Take them off your phone. Why are you getting all riled up about things you read online? And hating on drug companies and hating on other people. We don't need any enmity in our hearts. It's not our job to judge. God is the ultimate judge of the world, not us. And that is why Paul says, do not conform to the patterns of the world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind.
There are wars that we're not called to fight. Wars around us every day. Our mentality should always portray grace, mercy, and love. That is what Matthew 5 is all about. Jesus is saying, it's not an eye for an eye or a tooth for a tooth. But I'm calling you to a huge level of love and forgiveness, not exacting greater vengeance on other people, but different social dynamics in culture. So I want us to today look at how we can be. It's not about insult. It's not about putting up. I'm not advocating that. If you've been in an abusive relationship and you have to get out of that relationship, do so with God's grace. But it's not your job to pay back. God will judge because he's the perfect judge. When Jesus says, if anyone forces you to carry their burden and they say, here, take my one pound, they say, come on, I, I can carry two. Because you're demonstrating through this freedom of volunteering that you're not begrudging of, this, of the service. He says, hate your enemy in the Old Testament, but I'm telling you, you're living by a new rule. You're going to love not just yourself, but you're going to love your enemies as well. How? As yourself. And Jesus demonstrated that by telling them the story of the Good Samaritan. You know that story. The Jew passed, the, 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 the priest passed, the this one passed. But then the Samaritan passed. And he took this man who would have been an enemy and ministered to him. That's what Jesus is calling us to. Paul says, you know what? I am not yet reached that goal, and I can confess to you today, neither have I. And I'm not perfect. But Christ has taken hold of me. And if this message has taken hold of you today, it's going to determine how you live. Christ has taken hold of me. So I keep running, and I keep struggling, and I keep pushing so I can take hold of the price, which is this higher calling in Christ Jesus. And so, my friends, like Paul, we're in a struggle of honesty with ourselves so that we don't find ourselves condemning others that God won't condemn. God will be as hard on us and hard on you. He will treat you exactly the way you treat others who have fallen into sin. And so I want us today to remember that the same judgment that we have judged others is the judgment that will come to us. As I was thinking about my own imperfection and how Jesus have brought me through, this song came to me that says, one time I was sinking deep in sin. 
Ah, you guys didn't know me then. <laughs> Far from the peaceful shore, very deeply stained within, sinking to rise no more. But, but the master of the sea heard my despairing cry. Hallelujah. From the waters lifted me, now safe. Did God bring you through some stuff? And the songwriter says, it was love, thank God. It was love, thank God. It was love that lifted me. When nothing else could help. Love. Love lifted me. And another verse says, souls in danger. Look above. Hallelujah. Jesus completely says he will lift you back his love out of the angry waves. He's the master of the sea. Billows his will obey. He, your savior, wants to be. Be saved. Today, so that you can rejoice and be happy and sing, Love lifted me. Love lifted me. When others would have condemned me to death, mess up my reputation. Destroy my witness and my integrity. Hallelujah. Love lifted me when nothing else could help. Hallelujah. Love. Hallelujah. Love. Hallelujah. Love. been in the enemy camp? Have you ever been in the enemy camp? And you feel like he's grabbing you by the throat? You feel like he's saying, yes, I got you now. You're done for. Have you been there? And you feel like you're in a wilderness? And you feel like there's nobody around you know how you feel? And you feel like nobody around you understands what you're going through. Oh, my Lord. 
when you're between a rock and a hard place. And you're trying to figure out which way to go. And you're trying to figure out, should I stay or should I go? And you feel like your soul is in torment. But then love. When nothing else could help. When no one else could help. Love. Love. Lifted me. And I want to say to you today, if you're struggling with sin, if you're struggling with darkness, if you're struggling with decisions that you have to make, if you're struggling because you don't know which way to look, which way to go, I want you to know today that God loves you. Don't give up on yourself. Others may give up on you, but you stand strong in the Lord and in the power of his might and put on the whole armor of God so you'll be able to stand against the wicked enemy of your soul. Because God got you. When we remember where Jesus rescued us from, we can extend that love and grace to our enemies. We can declare Jesus' power and the light of his love over our enemies. The enemies within and the enemies without. Because the word of God says that the entrance of the name of Jesus comes over the darkness that threatens your very soul. And he's here right now. And all you need to do is receive him. Darlene Zerch, she writes a prayer of declaration in this song over all the enemies we face. She says, I just want to speak the name of Jesus. Sometimes you just got to block out everybody else. You just got to block out all the naysayers. You just got to block out all the, the, the demons who come and enter into your thoughts to make you feel like you're nothing, like you're not good enough, and you need to speak the name of Jesus. She says, I speak the name of Jesus over every heart and every mind because I know there is peace within your presence. I speak Jesus. I just want to speak the name of Jesus till every dark addiction starts to break, declaring there is hope and there is freedom. I speak the name of Jesus because there's power in your name. There is healing in your name. There is life in your name. You can break every stronghold, shine through the shadows and burn like a fire. I just want to speak the name of Jesus over every fear over every anxiety, to every soul held captive by depression. I speak the name of Jesus. Come, Lord, and break down every stronghold. Shine through the shadows. Burn like fire. Shout Jesus from the mountains. Stand in the streets. Jesus over the darkness, over every enemy. Jesus from a family. He 
Jesus for my sons and daughters. Jesus for my grandchildren. I speak Jesus over the church. I shout Jesus in every dark corner and over every enemy. Jesus in the streets. Jesus on the mountain. I speak the holy, holy, mighty, precious name of Jesus. I speak Jesus this afternoon. Stand to your foot as we face the cross today. And imagine the dark day that a cloud hang over Golgotha Hill. Darkness fell over the earth. We hear the faint utterance from Jesus. Quivering, suffering lips saying softly, It is finished. It is finished. Your victory has been won. It is finished. God's mighty work is done. It is for you today that Jesus whispered the word, Forgive them, for they know not what they do. Jesus on the cross liberates you and me and for all who are lost. Forgive your enemies as Christ, as God in Jesus Christ has forgiven you. Forgive and you will be forgiven. 